Welcome to Productivity, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. We talk to extraordinary people that you've heard of and extraordinary people that you haven't. We pick their brains about how they get stuff done. I'm Carly Jacobs, writer and mostly sensible habit maker. This week's guest is also this month's book club author, Naomi Simpson. She's the founder of Red Balloon and one of the sharks on Australia's TV show, Shark Tank. She's motivated, she's tough, and she doesn't take any bullshit. She wrote Live What You Love, which is a book that helps people do exactly that live what they love. It's for entrepreneurs and employees who truly want to nail their work-life balance. Naomi gives excellent, honest advice in this episode on how to manage work and family life, raising resilient kids and being valuable in your own business as well as other people's. She also answers a few curly listener questions and shares a fairly unpopular opinion. We chat about switching off, concentrating, battling phone addiction, and truly, truly finding that elusive work-life balance. You are the founder and creator of Red Balloon, which is an online gift hub for experiences. So the name has a really beautiful story behind it. Would you mind sharing that with our listeners? Oh, look, you know, you've got to call a business something. And um, I, I remember the moment I was walking around the backyard. I was like, what am I going to call this baby? You know, it, it, there is experienced business in the UK, which was a catalogue and call centre business. This was going to be an online business. And I remembered a movie from 1956. No, I'm not that old. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, 1956. And it's about a little boy. It's called The Red Balloon. And it's about a little boy called Pascal. And his best friend is a red balloon. And he lives in Paris. And it won the 1956 Oscar Award for the best children's movie. And it's also a book. And I remember it from my childhood. And this, the story goes that... He, um, he does everything with this balloon, but one day the bullies get it. The bullies get the balloon and they pop it. And uh, it's so sad, like so sad. It's like his best friend has been killed. Um, and he goes off on all these adventures with this balloon through Paris. So it's really pretty. And then all the, after the balloon dies, he, um, balloons come from all over Paris and he collects them and he's picked up and he's taken up. Um, over Paris he's lifted up over Paris and goes on this incredible trip and I just thought wouldn't it be amazing if people saw any red balloon and they stop and they remembered the first red balloon experience they were given or that they gave and it's a real symbol of parties and happiness and childhood joy and so that's why I called it red balloon I love that story I read that in your book but I thought it would be a lovely thing to have you retell it for the listeners on the podcast so you were also a shark on Australia's shark tank that's no longer filming anymore is it or is it we never know but uh, I we did not film last year and we haven't heard from them Uh, for next year so I presume it's not we did four seasons and what they do at the at is they say we're resting the program which means they're keeping the door open but at this point we haven't been scheduled to reshoot I have to say I'm thrilled that they're resting the program because we just love it in this house it's one of our favorite shows we just we watched all four of the first seasons and we just love watching um all the sharks make their investments and it really is your money is that true oh absolutely in fact (laughs) 
here's the thing. Years and years later, I am still working with these companies. I still have an investment from season one. We're still working together. That's six years. Coming oh, up wow. for seven years, up, we've been working together. So it's a long journey, and I guess that's something that people don't realize. You know, it's a 10-minute segment within a program, uh, and for all of us, it becomes part of our life's journey. So which company is that that you're still working with? Oh, it's a wonderful business, of course. Uh, <laughs> you wouldn't invest called, in anything less. <laughs> yeah, it's called Sonsi, Sonsi Woman, and she has a beautiful um, lingerie. Oh, and I know. Yeah, I know, I know that brand. Yeah. Yeah, um, for curvaceous people, so people who are in different sizes. And she's just uh, launched a, a, she has anti chafing shorts, and she also has anti-cellulite shorts which are incredible so she's really worked hard on that she was a a textile expert uh, and so she's worked really really hard on the textiles that are in in her product they're absolutely beautiful so how did the opportunity come up for you to be on shark tank i just got an email one day and um and the email said uh would you talk to us about being on shark tank and i've never heard of it and so I just, it was an email and I just put my head up at the office. I said, has anybody heard of this Shark Tank thing? And uh, one of my colleagues said, oh, you'll love it. And I said, oh, do I get wet? <laughs> I said, no. I, got, I had no idea what it was. So, Did you ever watch Dragon's um, Den, the UK one? Uh, I didn't watch that. I'd heard of it. I hadn't watched it. And I only ever watched one episode of the American one, actually one segment, which was with, um, Jimmy Fallon, oh. who um, had, came in to pitch horse pants. <laughs> and uh, he said, all the horses are naked. It's a world of opportunity. And there's other animals too. And and it was so it was kind of hilarious. But I chose not to watch anything else because I just wanted to be myself mm. and not kind of model myself on anything because none of us are actors. Yeah, you didn't want to be like um, the Deborah Meaden of Australia. No, or, you know, or Laurie or Barbara or any of them. So I just wanted to be myself. So I never really, I haven't watched any episodes. Um, Yeah, so there you go. So what was your favourite ever pitch on Shark Tank? Oh, favourite's hard to choose because some of them were really, really, really smooth and very well produced, but their businesses were not necessarily so good. And so, you know, you've got to look beyond the razzle-dazzle of their entertainers. So the, the television producers are looking for entertainment. So they're looking for the sublime to the ridiculous. They're looking for contrast. They're looking for short and long. They're looking for humour and emotional connection. So they're in the business of entertainment. We're in the business of looking for good investments. And so really the due diligence that happens afterwards is really, really important. And you know, if somebody is an introvert and they may not pitch that well, but their business might be incredible and that takes real skill to draw that out and it might not even make it to television. So um, they kind of had this thing that if we did do an investment, it always went to air, oh. whereas we sh- we would shoot about 100 experiences. 100 experiences. We'd shoot about 100. <laughs> You've got your red balloon language in your head. <laughs> 
Well, it's so funny because I was just looking at my screen and Janine Alice just texted me something. Oh, how so, funny. <laughs> yeah. No, no, we're pretty good buddies and she's in New South Wales now, so we see each other. We see each other. Oh, that's so, lovely. Yeah, it's really uh, – we're actually all good buddies. And even Steve called me about two or three weeks ago to check in, see how I was getting on. We just had a good old catch-up. We're like siblings. Yeah. You know, we've got a great deal of respect for each other. But, no, so they shoot about 100 different segments but only about six not even make it to air and um but they do put the ones that we make investment in unless they really go pear-shaped before the show goes to air so do you have the opportunity at the end like if you invest in someone and then you do a little bit more because you have to make a decision so quickly right because the pictures are so short have you ever do you have the opportunity to perhaps back out if you jumped in too quickly on one Oh, absolutely. There's a due diligence process and people lie. Oh. I know that's a surprise to you, but they say one thing. They come off and say, oh, it's not really like that. Like literally in the next breath. Oh, I just said that because it was television. <laughs> um, I, so many. And so I would say half don't get past the first week. Wow. Yeah. And some come off and go, oh, I don't really want your money. <laughs> they just wanted to get on air for get the publicity for for free. Amazing. Wow. Thank you so much for that insight. I'm I'm not a huge reality TV buff, but I'm very specific about what I like and I love Shark's Tank. So thank you for my cheeky bit of inside knowledge there. So your book, Live What You Love, is our book club pick for this month and it's fantastic. So it's um, one of my favorite sections was this table that you wrote where you outline what bosses hate about employees. Can I ask if yeah. that was written from a boss's perspective or as an exemplary employee? Because I, I read your book and you've, you seem to have been both in your time. Yeah, I've been an employee and I was probably a pretty bad one. <laughs> Why is that? Um, well, I work really hard. So that it wasn't about my work ethic. It was that I was always push, push, push and questioning. And I'd say, well, why, why don't we pay our small businesses earlier than we you know like I just always ask questions not realizing that it might be offend <laughs> offensive to people so I wasn't very good at that whole towing the line well I would challenge things not realizing that that might reflect on people feel that they it reflected on the way they were doing their job so I didn't always and it was always even when I was leading teams it was kind of my way or the highway and I'd do all the work <laughs> so I wouldn't necessarily say I, I was a good team player so, um, or that's, you know, the feedback. <laughs> You're not entirely sure you agree with that. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so I, I know what it's like to be an employee. And I think one of the most important things for bosses to do or leaders to do is to listen, acknowledge, and not everything makes it to the plan. But um, if we want to continue to grow and and be successful, then often the people around us and the people at the front line have more ideas and and it's to listen and honour and respect those. So um, so I, I, I see it from both worlds, but also, you know, if you want to get ahead in your job and you really like it, well, understand the value that you have and make sure you are valuable. Uh, and the closer you can get to the customer experience, the better off you'll be. So um, leaders and managers are always interested in people who get customer and understand the commercial basis. And, you know, if you've you've been paid 
$60,000 a year, well, make sure you earn the company 180 and that will cover your cost. So, yeah, and people often don't think like that. And But if you really understand the, how the commercials work in a business, um, what success looks like, you'll be incredibly valuable and then you'll get career progression. So one thing I really loved about the book was that it wasn't 100% focused on people who want to start their own businesses. There was some wonderful advice for people who simply just want to be good employees and climb whatever ladder they're currently on. What do you think about what seems like a current focus for people to start their own businesses? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I worry about the fact that this entrepreneur stuff has become somehow celebrity and fashionable. And of course, shows like Shark Tank, you know, contribute to that. But running a business is hard and it's long. I'm coming up to my 20th anniversary since I founded Red Balloon. That's a long time doing the same thing. Obviously, my job has evolved in that time, but it's a long time. So really, I would argue that... um, Entrepreneurial journey is not for a lot, it's not for most people. But there's a difference between being an entrepreneur and maybe a small business owner or a micro business owner or a contractor consultant. And what I try to do in Live What You Love is really get people to look at where their energy is. And quite frankly, um, being an employee is a great thing. You get paid every month, you know, and you get to to grow and learn and that business has resources. So the book in for, for me was about people making powerful choices about where they give their gifts and, and identifying what their gifts are and how they make the world a better place through, through working on what is their purpose. I did a, a second book, which was for all the people who want to be entrepreneurs, uh, to help them really work through if, if it's right for them. And that's called Ready to Soar. Um, and because if you want to start a business, there's different ways of starting a business. And just because I started mine this way doesn't mean you're going to start yours the same way. And I wanted to provide a whole lot of resources for people. And I just figure if you're thinking about making a career change or you're thinking about starting a business, then do the work, like read the book, do the exercises. Um, and, you know, don't contact me and say, will you mentor me <laughs> if you haven't read my books, you know, because... I wrote them for a reason. I wrote to support people and otherwise I'm just repeating myself and besides I'll probably be a crap mentor. <laughs> so um, so it's not I do support our community. I'm part of mentor walks and I um, I do mentor people um, and I have a whole uh, program. But you've got to do the work first. There's no point saying, I oh, will you be my mentor if you're not prepared to do the work? Like really? I'm not doing it for you. <laughs> yourself I've got my own job that's what I really loved about that section in the book is that there there is a particularly as you were saying through Shark Tank there is a very big focus at the moment on you know starting your own business and that kind of stuff but the listeners of this podcast the podcast is about productivity and a lot of people are people who are nurses and teachers and lawyers and social workers and people who have these jobs that they have to show up for they've got no desire to start a business and they kind of feel like there's nothing out there for them because all of the education and podcasts and things are about these big glamorous entrepreneurs that are, you know, have these celeb statuses. So I really appreciated those bits of your book, particularly because you are an entrepreneur and that is your level of expertise, but bringing it back to uh, the employee and people who want to be employed and want to be good employees was just, it was on the mark. I loved it. 
Okay, so another part of the book is that there is a huge focus on happiness. So how important do you think it is the pursuit of happiness, particularly in your career? So I'm pretty sure I talked about the fact that the pursuit of happiness can make you unhappy because you're never there. And happiness is just one of the many human emotions that we have, and it's fleeting. So um, it's an outcome of, you know, joy is, is just momentary. So happiness might be a state of accomplishment. It might be a state of shared experience. There's all sorts of reasons why somebody might be happy, but it's a moment in time. And without the contrast of challenge, of toil, um, of real resilience, you don't know the experience of happiness. Without rain, there is no rainbows, <laughs> as they say. So one of the things that I, I really encourage, particularly parents, is you cannot make your child happy. You have to choose to be happy. And often they're happy when they have your time, your energy, your insight, um, and you challenge them. So when my kids were growing up, you know, and people say, oh, what do you want for your children? I'd say, I want them to be responsible. I want them to be responsible citizens. I want them to be resilient, um, reliable and, and relatable. You know, I want them to be good citizens. And actually the rest is up to them. They, um, you know, their ability to build relationships and be connected community and relationships. One of the outcomes will be good, um, energetic, productive relationships will deliver happiness. So it is not a constant state. And I just want to be happy when I hear that go, well, why don't you get yourself a hard job? Why don't you challenge yourself? Uh, Because when you overcome something, you will experience a sense of accomplishment, which is also happiness. So how many children do you have? I've got two, but together we have four. Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> that's a really big commitment. They're hardly children, though. Like I started my business when they were little. They've all left home. They've all gone. They're all responsible, contributing adults, and they're all doing completely different things, and they haven't lived at home for three or four years. We've been empty nesters for a long time. How does that yeah. feel after, like, you probably remember having the little kids when you were starting the business and do you just feel like you have so much more time now to focus on your business? Uh, well, not just on my business, but other things that are important to me. I do a fair bit of philanthropic work. I sit on a number of um, board, voluntary boards and pro bono or whatever they say. And so, and I also have my own hobbies and things. So it does give me more space, Um uh, but I miss yeah. them, you know, of course I do. Do you have any advice for starting a business when you've got a little one? I have a two-year-old and it's just, it's it, she's marvellous but very, very time-consuming. So I think, and we have quite a few listeners that also have small children. So if you've got any tips for business building or even just, you know, successfully functioning as a human when you've got little ones. Yeah, you need to make a choice about where you spend your time and when you choose it, choose it powerfully and be truly present. If you're working, then the child needs to be cared for, the door is closed. Even if you're working from home, they have to knock on the door if they wanna come and see you. And you set the constructs up of this is work and this is home. And don't try to be doing things on your mobile phone. We didn't have smartphones when my kids were little. We, you know, they were 
Nokia flip tops that were so hard to use who bought it. <laughs> those bricks so yeah and so um really just be truly present and if you only get to have, be with your child for an hour a day make it a fabulous hour be on the floor playing trucks with them or play games I used to play Monopoly with my kids before they went to school and you know we do a few more rounds and then off we go so really being in their world and if you are always on your phone in front of your child and when they're a teenager and they don't connect with you and they're always on their phone you've got to hold the mirror up this is the time for creating those deep relationships and those traditions in your family of what makes family and you know we always, you know, and you'll say, you know, we, the Simpsons, we always eat together on, on Sunday nights. The kids make the meal and they can cook whatever they like. And from the youngest ages, they're incredibly capable. Uh, and I just think we molly coddled them a bit of, you know, what do you want and what do you want and all of that sort of thing. Well, cook your own dinner and then you'll be fine. <laughs> I love it. Put things, on the low, put things on the low shelf in the fridge and then they'll be fine. <laughs> I'm deep in that phase yeah. where I'm, I'm really looking forward to my child being able to get up and make her own breakfast so like that that she's two she can do it now you reckon <laughs> oh absolutely cereal and milk absolutely or some fruit just leave it where she can get it and even the construct of being able to take it out the fridge take the lid off the fruit or whatever you've got left for her she's actually prepared it herself and that sense of that sense of ownership I had a friend who couldn't get her child to eat anything that was raw. And, of course, kids need raw food and fruit. And what I did, I was looking after her child, and what I did was just get the fruit, cut it up, and, you know, made it pretty on a plate. And every day then that child wanted the fruit. And she went from needing no fruit to demanding fruit. And then the next stage is you just let them do it themselves. And, um, and, but you still have the construct of what is family meal time and eating together from a very, very young age um, and that they have to sit up at the table, that they drop their food, it, gets lo- it just gets left. Uh, I just never played that game. I'd say, oh, we're playing gravity, are we? <laughs> well, gravity won. And the kids would just go, oh, that was no fun. And, I, you know, I sound harsh, but they've all survived. They've bought themselves up nicely. That's fantastic advice. I love that so much. I I admit I am raising my child in a very similar way. We kind of, you know, let her fall down quite a lot and the grandparents are a bit scared about it. They go, oh, she's going to fall. I'm like, no, she'll fall over and she won't do it again and she'll be fine. And she's she's quite a resilient little thing, so that seems to be working out quite well. Um, That is something that a lot of us struggle with, uh, finding downtime and switching off. Do you think it's easier as a business owner who started your business without a mobile phone and now it's been introduced to you rather than people who are starting their businesses now and they're mobile phone natives? Look... Um, We are addicted to those devices. That doesn't matter who you are or how old you are. So you need to work out the mechanisms. I I have my charges for my phone and my watch and everything in a completely different room. I put them there. That's where they go. And I also don't work. I'm sitting in my office at home. I leave my laptop there. I don't start wandering around the house and just checking on things. And, you know, it'll still be there. Here's the, here's the news. It doesn't matter whether you're an employee or whether you're running your own show or whether you've got your own, you know, eBay store. It'll be there tomorrow. Did any? I remember somebody saying to me in the other state, did anybody die today? And um, no, they didn't. I have a friend who is a brain surgeon, and when she has a bad day, 
it's a really bad day. So did you really have a bad day? No. I didn't lose anybody, so it's all fine. It'll up. It'll be okay. Just relax. Um, people take themselves so seriously. It's wait, none of us are perfect. Don't we all do stuff and make mistakes. We just need to give ourselves a break. Yeah. That's fantastic advice. We had um, on this podcast uh, two years ago a spontaneous thing where we challenged everyone to go without their phones for 48 hours from Friday night to Sunday night. And a few people joined in. And the one thing that everyone said that shocked them the most was how they missed nothing. They didn't miss anything. Mm -hmm. And they were so shocked that ordinarily over that 48 hours, they would have checked their phone every 10 minutes just to make sure that they hadn't missed anything. And then on the Sunday night, all of those messages were still there and maybe two of them were important or something that they cared about and the rest of it was just garbage. Yeah. I did a blog post seven or eight years ago on LinkedIn because I, I write for LinkedIn and it, I challenged people to um, give up their mobile phone. Now, this is eight years ago. And it went completely viral and I got completely trolled by people saying, how dare you suggest that my business is this, that and the other thing or whatever. And I go, whatever. It was just a, it was a 21 day challenge. Uh, No, and mine was different. Mine was just to not use your mobile phone in the presence of another human being. Because if you go past a tram stop or a bus stop or everybody's on their phone and nobody's looking at each other or connecting, I go to work. Uh, well, when we had an office, but I used to go to work on the ferry. Well, I never would use my phone on the ferry. It's a beautiful harbour. Why not just look around? And um, the my editor who was in Paris, um, she said, you know, I read your article. It's really interesting. She said, I stopped catching the metro to work and started getting the bus because it was a better internet connection. She said, do you think this is why I don't have a girlfriend? <laughs> I said, I don't know, but put away your phone and see what happens. And she came back to me some months later and she said, actually, I couldn't do it. So what I did was I now ride my bike to work because then I can't touch my phone. And um, so, you know, the addictive nature of our devices, it is really hard. But, you know, we used to speak to the cab driver. We used to speak to the dry cleaner. We used to speak to the waiter and so often we're on our phone, we're all yearning for human connection. And, and these roles that are in service and serving um, are becoming increasingly lonely They because they never get to talk to anyone because everyone, you know, hairdresser, people are on the phone the whole time. So, you know, I just challenge people to really think about even if it's on the desk or on the table, it's like a third person's there. It's like someone else is there. Put it away. And I don't say I've got it right all the time. By the way, I'm as equally addicted as everybody else. But I do know that it is impacting our ability to have deep intimate and truly connected relationships. Well, we have a, a neighbour, because I live in the country in uh, northeast Victoria, and we have a neighbour who doesn't have internet at his house and he's a professional gardener and he has three sons and they don't have internet at their house. They don't have Netflix or anything. And these boys are, without a doubt, the loveliest, most connected, genuine teen, And they're teenagers and they're outside all the time. They just barrel around because we live in a tiny country town. They just 
barrel around. They, they make art. They do these art installations out the front of their house. They're just they're just fantastic. I think it's. I mean, you know, my partner and I both work online. You work online, so not having internet at all isn't actually available to everyone. But if you think about like maybe turning it off for a whole weekend and see what happens, like all of you, like everyone goes off the internet for a full weekend and see what happens. I think that would be pretty magical. Hi, Carly. Love the podcast. I've got a question for Naomi. I have a problem with procrastination and I'd love to know if she has any tips for how best to deal with procrastination. And what's the thing that she does most to procrastinate? Well, so procrastination is a very fascinating word. I just, um, I don't really procrastinate. Uh, uh, I might put things off a little bit, but I often deal with the hardest things early in the day when I've got all of my energy, the things that are on my list that might have been there for a little while. And and I have a personal motto, which is if it's meant to be, it's up to me. And that enables me to not procrastinate. And the other thing is if I really, really, really don't want to do something, it's because it's not in my energy. And that means there's somebody better to do it. And I know I'm in the position now where I can get somebody else to do these things for me. So at work, you know, I realise I become a bottleneck about my writing. So who else can I get to support me in my writing because I'm holding up the rest of the team? And it's not a procrastination. It's about using my strengths and my superpowers. And whereas, you know, nobody can replace my talking, talky, talky, but people can replace my writing and other things that I do. So I, I look at, do I really need to be doing this? And if not... Give a job to someone else, you know, create employment. That's how the it goes around, really. So I'm not a procrastinator, clearly. So you don't kind of pick up your phone and scroll through Instagram? That's not your bag? Not really. Um, that's probably why I don't have more followers because I don't really interact. Interaction you're supposed to, you know, they, they've designed it so that if you're not interacting, they don't serve your content and not everything. I was like, oh, this is bullshit. <laughs> it's just pictures. So we just, you know... Anyway, so I just, um, I read the newspaper, I read books and uh, no, I'm not really a procrastinator at all. Hi, this is Nina. Whenever I see successful people interviewed, they're always very careful about what they say. So I was wondering, what's your most unpopular opinion? My my most unpopular opinion? I was pretty vocal about um, the state premiers. Um, I just couldn't understand border closures and I could not understand how a health professional was running the economy. I think Gladys is just amazing. She kept the economy going. She kept COVID in control. She invested in the technology and the tracing. And I just thought I, I was abhorred when I heard the Queensland Premier say Queensland hospitals for Queenslanders. It was disgraceful. It's not just that we're Australian, but there's a Hippocratic oath that anybody in need gets medical attention. So, um, and of course, people who are living in those states, that was really unpopular. And it wasn't a political statement. It was just I couldn't understand it. The other thing is I thought we were a little more sophisticated uh, in terms of we need national tracing. Uh, we need to be able to do business and the damage that it's, has happened to small businesses will and many will choose not to come back will be long felt uh, and the and the mental health that it caused 
for people who couldn't see their families, who had illnesses. I haven't seen my son since January because he's in Victoria. Mm. And so, you know, we Skype and all the rest of um, uh, But so I just think that it was irresponsible to to not look at a bigger picture of how do we cope with this virus, not necessarily by state-based, because the virus didn't know where the state borders were. So I just thought it was really naive of those leaders to not put in place national tra- tracking, use the one system and be able to uh, track and trace quickly. And this kind of parochial, oh, if it's not built in Victoria, it's no good. And that parochial nature of Queensland, I was disgusted, really disgusted um, by their approach. And I know they need to keep their people safe. The, I agree how lucky we are, but their approach and the pain that they caused it could have been far cleverer. Yeah, look, I absolutely agree. I'm, I'm very pro-lockdown and I, I think Dan Andrews has got us to a point where we're very safe in Victoria and, you know, that has been very comforting for us. But I agree. I think the the, the federal level, the, the state division has just been horrific and I think it's, um, it, it's really made it clearer that we do have to have better federal systems so that the states and it's also things things like even car registration like why do we have state-based car registration it's crazy and then you have all these rules about you can only drive your car like because we've lived between ACT and Victoria on and off for the last 10 years and car registration has been a nightmare because they're like well where do you live and we're like well in both like what 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 do we do about this so yeah no I, I I like that that's a that's a good one to bring up Hi, I've got a question for Naomi. Um, do you have a morning routine and what does it look like and uh, has it changed over time? Thank you. Um, mornings are fabulous and, and I am an early person. How early? Uh, oh, I get up, I'm out at six. When the kids were little, I was out, out at quarter past five. I would be at the gym at 5.30, be home by half past six, make the school lunches, take the dogs for a walk get the kids out of bed by seven. And that was my time. So that was fantastic. And it's kind of continued on. Uh, You know, I still go to the gym and um, exercise in the morning. Uh, If I'm not at the gym, then we're walking. This morning I got up and um, went for a walk with the dog. um, And then I went to my studio and painted. So the day's going to be pretty good, I reckon, because I did something for myself pretty early on. How long have you been painting for? Oh, 40 years. Forever, uh, I've got my I've got a showing on at the moment in 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 Sydney. Oh, so. amazing! I had absolutely no idea you did that. How important do you think it is to have a creative outlet? I think it's really important for everybody that they have something that's kinesthetic in some way, whether it's reading or doing puzzles or gardening or uh, drawing or playing sport, but something that is just purely physical and and like I get lost. And my, sometimes my husband can come down and say, are you hungry? And I go, oh, yeah, I am. And he says, it's four o'clock. And I go, oh, okay. And I've been in there for, you know, 10 hours or whatever. So You must need that yeah. after building up a business to the point that you have and have that kind of time where you're not connected to other people's experiences or the user experience or the custom customer experience. It's just you and, and the thing that you want to be doing. Yeah, I think so. I think... Uh, all of us need kind of a yin and a yang. Uh, and now that family's left home, um, my friends are very important to me. We're very social. We do a lot of entertaining. 
and um, but our kids have all flown and our parents are interstate so our families become our friends become our family in terms of our routine so Well, that's all the questions that I have for you. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. You've given us some brilliant nuggets that I'm sure are going to help everyone have a really fantastic positive week. Yeah, there's one thing I want to finish with, though, and it's this sense of purpose that for 20 years I've been bringing people together through shared experiences. And the business has always been about delivering customers to small businesses. And last year we delivered 600,000 customers to the 2,000 small businesses that we represent. And it is Christmas or it's coming into the festive season. But instead of giving stuff, give stories. You know, we've all got enough stuff. And when you buy from either Red Balloon or Adrenaline or any of them, give somebody an experience and everyone wins. You get to have a fabulous time together, but a local business gets a customer. So I'm all about buy local, support homegrown Australian success, shared experience is what our economy and our country is about so give an experience this Christmas and that was Naomi entrepreneur investor and total badass the thing I loved chatting to Naomi the most about was how she just doesn't mince words it's no secret that I'm a big fan of tough love and I really resonated with her quit whinging and get on with it attitude. And that's something I'm really focused on with guests on productivity is getting a wide range of people with different approaches to productivity, mixing the gentler approaches with the stronger ones so everyone feels like they have a theoretical mentor they can connect with through the show. On another note, I really loved Naomi's tip for shopping local and giving experiences and not necessarily through her own company. This year has just been epically difficult for all of us and quality time with our extended families and friends has been severely lacking. I'm personally not buying presents for anyone this year. I don't generally do it any year, but I'm just inviting people to come and stay at our house and I'll cook them beautiful food, supply them with wine, tire their kids out and just spend some time with them. Now that the borders are open, we're basically booked out every weekend until January and I'm thrilled about it. So please take Naomi's advice and give stories and experiences this year and not stuff. These are my top three favorite productivity tips from Naomi. Number one, get the worst thing done in the morning. This tip comes up again and again with our guests, but really swallowing the frog is just the most tops advice you will ever get. Get up, do the thing you don't want to do, get it done, boom, you're good. Number two, if there's something you really, really, really don't want to do and you have the means to get someone else to do it, get someone else to do it. And I know that that is an incredibly privileged thing to say, but I do know a lot of people who do have the means to pay people to do the things that they don't want to do, but they have some sort of a weird complex about, you know, hiring a cleaner or hiring an assistant or getting some sort of home help, even though they can actually afford it. This is me giving you permission to do that if you have the means to do that. Number three, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. That last tip has been a lifesaver for me this week. So when it comes to podcasting, it turns out I love researching and recording and I hate doing all the other stuff like recording the intros and outros, which is what I'm doing right now. I keep dragging my feet and making the whole process a lot longer than it needs to be. So I've been repeating the mantra, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. And it's been such a great kick in the pants. Try it yourself this week. 
Coming up next week on the show is Australian model Jennifer Attila Mill, who is kicking serious ass as a model in New York right now. I like having guests on the show who not only share their productivity tips, but can also just teach us to be better people in general. Jennifer is a mental health advocate, size inclusivity warrior, and a fierce call out queen. So don't miss next week's episode. There's some amazing stuff about body positivity and self-acceptance that you really need to hear. Thank you for listening to Productivity, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs. You can find me on Instagram at carlyjacobs.com. That's carlyjacobs, D-O-T-C-O-M. You can also email me productivity at carlyjacobs.com. I actually really, really love hearing from listeners. So seriously, don't be shy. You can also record a question for me to answer on the show at speakpipe.com forward slash productivity. Also, if you love the show, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. Even $5 a month would be a huge help in covering production, editing, equipment, promotion, and guest wrangling. Just visit patreon.com forward slash productivity. Oh, and one more thing, please leave a rating and a review. It's the best way to help other people find the podcast. Until next time, remember, little habits, big life.